always being honest, being a man of your word, executing, putting other people's interests ahead of yours. It's all about relationships in life. So it's all about taking care of other people and putting their interests ahead of yours. And if you do that, you're going to be successful. As a loyal Best Ever listener, you know that it's important that we as entrepreneurs focus on managing our time effectively, which is why we're always looking for ways to automate the basic duties of our business so that we can focus more time on our money-making activities. That's why I want to introduce you to Rentler.com. At Rentler, landlords and property managers can perform all their duties in one place. Rentler offers tools that allow you to automate tasks like listing a unit for rent, finding and screening tenants, collecting rent, and managing the maintenance requests. And even better, these tools are offered at zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever to get started today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Todd Fox, how you doing, Todd? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Joe. My pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Todd. He started real estate investing nine years ago. He had $20,000 and according to him, not according to me, had no clue what he was doing Spent first few years working 100 hours a week learning the business from the inside out. And now his company, Vism Development Group, will complete just under $50 million of new construction this year alone based in Ithaca, New York. With that being said, Todd, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah. So background, you're 100% correct. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing with real estate. Actually, at the time when I bought my first property, I had owned a Quiznos franchise and I was just absolutely miserable with that career path and what I was doing. I, I wasn't happy. I was looking for something else. And I was actually dating a girl at the time and I went to visit her. She just moved into a new place. I'm driving down the street in Ithaca and there's like 30 duplexes, both sides of the street, identical, nothing's different other than the color of the siding. I get to the end of the street, I'm like, this guy's got to be making money or he would have stopped after the first or second duplex. Mm -hmm. I was asked, how much do you pay in rent? What do you guys pay in utilities? And I started doing like back of the napkin stuff. And I said, listen, do me a favor, reach out to your landlord, ask him how much it costs to build one of these buildings. And so she did. And I'm like, all right, this guy's making money. I could do this. And like I said, I knew nothing other than I just felt like I could figure it out. That was kind of my attitude. <laughs> I needed to be doing something different. And if this guy's doing it, I can do it too. So I ended up basically just going to copy his model, doing a three bedroom, one bath, three bedroom, one bath and searching for properties and came across this estate auction. And it was like a three bedroom house and everybody was there was buying it. They were flippers. And I go to this auction, I got 20 grand to my name, literally. And auction starts, it's $1,000 here, $2,000 there. And everyone's raising their hand and my heart is just pounding. And all of a <laughs> sold for $32,000. And everybody's looking at me and I'm like, oh my God, what did I just do? And <laughs> this guy walks past me, this old guy. He's like, ah, oh, this kid's going to lose his effing shirt. And I'm like, oh my God, am I going to lose my effing shirt? Like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing right now. 
So luckily I'd had the foresight to meet with an architect just to make sure I could actually build what I wanted to build on the site. And I called her up and I'm like, listen, Claudia, I don't know what I'm doing right now. I think I actually just bought this property. I really need your help. I don't know a single contractor. And she's like, all right, listen, calm down, calm down. I've been doing this for decades. I know a bunch of really good, reliable guys. And she helped me with the bidding process and ended up getting the thing built on time and on budget and actually got more in rent than I had projected. And that was kind of my start into real estate, just trial by fire. It sounds like since you said got more in rent than you projected, that was a buy and hold? Yes. With 20K in your pocket, how were you able to do a buy and hold? Because I imagine all the money that you had, plus there was a 12K difference, went towards the project. Yes. We ended up redeveloping the site. It was a new construction. So we tore down the existing home and I had gone to my mom and I said, mom, I need to borrow some money because I think I just bought this house and she's freaking out. And she's like, what do you mean you're going into real estate? You own this Quiznos. What are you doing? <laughs> After like a couple of weeks of trying to convince my mom, she finally came around and that's how I get the first property. Was it 12K that you borrowed from her? Or was it more than that? No, it was right about that. And at that time, that was enough to be able to have a down payment for the house. And they used that as part of the 20% down. And so it was pretty much covered it. And since that was all the money that you had, how were you able to hold on to it and make and receive the monthly rent versus selling it and getting the cash back out plus profit? At the time, I never even thought about refinancing it or anything like that, it was making about $20,000 a year profit after everything. So right wow. off the bat, it, yeah, it was, it was a good investment right off the bat. Yeah, it sure was. <laughs> it was approximately 32000 all in and making you 20000 in year one. Is that accurate? Yes. Well, you should just keep doing that then, right? <laughs> that was the plan. And ironically, that didn't really give me the bug yet. And at that time, I had actually started working on an internet startup with a friend. I had actually gone through a personal bankruptcy because I had sold my Quiznos. And a year later, the guy ended up defaulting on paying his rent payment. So the landlord came after me because we still had a personal guarantee. So I really wasn't even in the mindset of real estate at that time. And I ended up moving down to Brooklyn and working on this internet company. And it didn't end up working out for me. And I'm sitting in my apartment. I'm just sitting there thinking like, all right, what am I going to do next with my life? I'd gone through this bankruptcy at this point. It had been about a year and this internet company didn't work out. And you know, the only income I had was this rental property. It was making me $20,000 a year. And I'm like, all right, well, if I could just get 10 of these things, I can make a quarter million a year and it's passive income. I don't really have to lift a finger. So why don't I just do that? And at that point, if I want to start another company or I want to travel, I can do that because you have all this passive income coming in. So I wrote on my wall, I was going to own 10 duplexes in the next three years. And then I started meeting with banks and every bank I talked to was like, what are you crazy? You just had a bankruptcy a year ago. Like we're not going to mm. come see us in seven years, kid. You're out of your mind. And yeah. I talked to my mom and my mom's like, no, I'm not going to help you. That <laughs> crazy. You just had a bankruptcy. What terms did you give her on the first 12K? I imagine she got her money back, right? Yeah, yeah, she got her money back. And that time she didn't ask for any interest and she just wanted to help her son out. And so I got- Oh, uh, you should have given her some terms. You should have given her some interest rate on that. That way she'd re loan to you later. Oh, believe me, I've been able to take care of her son. <laughs> I was bootstrapping it back then. You know? uh -huh. 
So here I am. I'm like, all right, I want to make money in real estate. This makes sense to me. But I literally talked to every bank I could and they all told me, listen, it's not going to happen. Go find another career path. So luckily I didn't listen to them. And it's one of my double-edged sword things in life where it's good and it's bad. I don't always listen to people and take advice, but this time it ended up working out pretty good for me. So I realized, listen, if I could find these deals, all I got to do is just find someone that can basically co-sign on the loans for me. So I had a friend that was looking at investing in Connecticut and I was like, all right, you know, show me the deal that you're working with. I said, listen, I, I'm getting double those returns in Ithaca. If you can help put up the money for these projects and you can help get the bank financing, will you go 50-50 on these projects with me? I'll manage them. I'll find the deals. I'll take care of the leasing. And he ends up partnering with me. And it's interesting because I got really close to giving up. I was sending out letters to people. I was knocking on doors and I had about 50 doors slammed in my face or phone calls or people are like, listen, if you call me back or anything, I'm going to call the police because you're harassing me. (laughs) And I think probably the best deal I ever did was really that first one where I knock on the door and the guy opens up and says, yeah, he actually had a piece of land that was across the street. And I said, have you ever thought about selling the land across the street? And he said, well, only if you buy my house. I said, okay, can I come in and see? And guy shows me around the house and the house is probably worth about 425,000. It was actually a three unit that he lived in. And the land across the street was a double lot and it was worth about a hundred thousand. And I said, okay, well, what do you want for the land? He said, well, probably 25,000 for the land. I'm like, okay. I said, what do you want for the house? And he said, 260,000. I'm like, are you sure about that? And he said, yeah, absolutely. You said, are you sure about that? I said, are you sure? Because in my mind, I'm like, this thing's worth 425 easily. Like, is this really happening? I'm like, am I taking advantage of this guy? And I asked him, he said he'd lived there and house was paid off. And he always had in his mind that he wanted to sell it for 260,000. Next day I had my attorney write up the contract. And that was really like when I caught the real estate bug. And that was like my aha moments. I just made basically 200 grand by knocking on this guy's door. Mm-hmm. So if I turn around and I sold these properties, I could cash out with 200,000. That was just like, okay, all the podcasts that I've listened to and the books that I've read, it's true. This really does happen if you just keep putting in the work. Knocking on the door, how did you identify the neighborhood where you're knocking on doors? And then when you knock on a door, what do you say? So at that time, our county didn't have anything online. So I had to go down to the county assessment office. I had to pull out tax maps. And really what I was looking for was vacant lots because I just wanted to replicate what I already did. I built this duplex, make me 20 grand. If I could just find building lots like that, I could just keep replicating my model. So it was a process to even be able to get that information. And I'd send letters out to people. I'd go and knock on doors. And this guy, I knocked on his door and he answered. And I said, hi, this may sound a little strange, but I was wondering if you ever considered selling your land across the street. And that's when he kind of looked at me and said, yeah, I'd sell it, but only if you buy my house. And I was just like, wait, what? (laughs) I was not expecting that. You hear a lot of different things. People will think that you're there just to harass them. I literally have doors slammed in your face before. Mm -hmm. So I, I just tried to make a friend and just smile as much as I could. And it just worked out. What did you end up doing with the property that had the house on it? And then what did you end up doing with the one that was vacant? The property that had the house on it, we renovated it because it was dated. We redid the floors, kitchens, baths, and everything like that. Rented it out, then cash flowed great. And then the double lot across the street ended up building two more duplexes. Basically took the exact same floor plan, didn't have to pay for an architect. We already had the house and just plopped two more of those duplexes on there. How long ago was that? 
2012. And fast forward to today, have you reached your, I want to get 10 of them to cash flow 20,000 a year? We well surpassed that. So I really started falling in love with real estate. Like I said before, I mean, I was working 100 hours a week. I was laying floor, changing toilets out, unclogging toilets, just learning the business from the inside out. And I really fell in love with it. And I said to myself, okay, I've kind of mastered this duplex thing. What's the next step? So I started looking at doing multifamily buildings. Now this year alone, we're going to have just under 50 million in new construction. So the 10 duplex thing, I mean, we far surpassed that a long time ago, which is crazy because every time I talk about it, it's mind boggling to me because at that time, 10 duplexes was like this monumental goal. It's mm-hmm. like, am I really going to even be able to do this? Everyone's telling me I can't even get a loan. What am I getting myself into? And then all of a sudden you start to have some success and you start to get really good at your craft and you realize you can kind of take that next step and you can do an 18 bedroom and then you can do something larger. One project, it's 207 units that is under construction right now. So it scales, putting in the time and the energy and the work and having the success. That $50 million under construction this year, what's the value of the largest project within that $50 million? $37 million. And what is that? It's a 207 unit. It's geared towards student housing for Cornell University. Can you tell us about that project? Yeah, it's about 85,000 square feet. It's a five-story building, high-end luxury student housing. So, you know, you've got the sauna room and the jacuzzi and the lounge and all that stuff. So what's your team's role in that and who are the other partners involved? The partners that I have, it's investors that I've kind of built up over time. I started out with one investor, which is actually kind of a neat story. Actually, my first duplex, the guy's daughter was renting from me and he called me up and said, hey, listen, I reviewed the lease. Everything looks good, but that's not why I'm calling. I was like, okay, why are you calling? He said, well, well, you know, I'm, I'm interested in investing in the Cornell market. I was wondering if you have any deals. So he was my first investor. We ended up really hitting it off. And he's actually brought in his friends and stuff into deals. And their group invested almost $4 million into this project. So it's investors that I've kind of built up over the years. And my investor group has just essentially kind of grown organically. It's like you do a really good deal with someone, you execute on time, on budget, and you do another deal. And then next thing you know, it just kind of snowballs and you build up that trust and that relationship. And then they want to kind of tell their friends and family about it. And essentially why we've been able to scale at the rate that we have is the investors that we're working with. And how is it structured with investors on a deal like this? Every single deal that we do is basically structured differently. With this one, it's pretty interesting just because we're able to create so much equity into the deal that we're going to refinance the building in year two. The investors are going to get 100% of their capital out plus an 8% preferred return. And then they're going to maintain about 50% of the equity in the building, which then produces about 8 or 9% on their original investment. So let's say they put in a million dollars. They're going to get their million dollars back in year two. They get their 8% preferred return, and then they're going to make about $90,000 a year going forward in perpetuity. And what if in year two, the million isn't able to be able to be paid back? The investors basically will have essentially 100% equity. 
we don't get our equity kicker until they're made whole. So 100% of the cash flow will go towards paying off the investors. Got it. And then once they have their original investment back plus 8% preferred return, that's accrued, then you do a 50-50 split? Correct. Cool. I've seen some development deals that have, say, 12% preferred returns. And I always wondered, how the heck does a development have a preferred return at all if there's no cash flow? But then someone told me, hey, dummy, it's just accrued until cash flow can be distributed. Is that basically how you approach it? Yeah, it is. And again, what's kind of really unique about this deal is just the amount of value that we're able to create in it. So we're going to be all into this project. It's going to be about $23 million. That's hard cost, soft cost, land cost. We have an as-built appraisal at $37 million. So the bank will finance 75% of the appraised value. So not only are we going to be able to get 100% of our money back, but based on their equity, we're projecting an additional 40% return. It's not written or guaranteed into the operating agreement, but it's most likely going to happen. So if they put in a million dollars based off the refi money, they're going to get their million back a minimum 8%. And most likely it's going to be an additional 400,000. And because it's a refinance, you don't pay capital gains on that money. When you are looking at that project and then you're also working on your other ones, how do you prioritize your time and where you put your focus? I have the most incredible team around me and without them, we wouldn't be doing any of the stuff that we are right now. So I just have super intelligent, talented, passionate people. And it's really just delegating, allocating whatever time needs to be for a project based on the team that we have. So it's really all about the team that we have at Vism. How many team members do you have? Not including on the ground people with hammers, nail and nails with hammers, but just full-time team members. Construction-wise, we employ hundreds of people a year. Sure. But within the Vism office, there's five people and I make six. And then we're actually looking to hire two more team members. What are the roles, high level, of each of the five? We have one person who basically is focused on leasing and managing the projects. We have an in-house project manager who's basically at the various job sites every day, just making sure everything's staying on schedule. We have someone in-house that's basically focused on raising money, investor relations, staying in constant communication with the investors based on the current projects, as well as potentially raising new money. We have two people that are in the office that are just focused on new deals and new markets. So we're basically expanding our horizon. We're looking pretty much as far south as Florida and as far west as Nebraska. So we're basically just focused on finding new opportunities in new markets. As far as asset management, does that fall under the project manager's responsibilities? During construction? After. After construction. We decided recently that we're going to do all of our property management in-house just so you can kind of have your finger on the pulse of the market and just get a better understanding of where things are going. So we're hiring a couple additional people from the property management side. So we'll have three people that are dedicated to that. And then we'll scale that based on the demand and how many hours is really needed as the new projects come online. Based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I feel like I could spend hours kind of going through that. (laughs) I think if we're kind of talking for people that are trying to get into the business or just starting out is trying to find a really good contractor 
having a good contract in place. Don't ever pay them unless work has been completed. I know there's contractors out there that they want 50% down, which I always tell whoever, like, listen, you gotta think of like the what if. What if this person gets hit by a bus? They might be the most honest person in the world, but you pay them $20,000 and they get hit by a bus tomorrow and good luck trying to get that money back. And I think on a more like high level type of advice, I would say just everything you do, just do with integrity. I think that's really one of the main reasons why I've been able to grow my business the way that we have. It's always being honest, being a man of your word, executing, putting other people's interests ahead of yours. It's all about relationships in life. So it's all about taking care of other people and putting their interests ahead of yours. And if you do that, you're going to be successful. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Definitely. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. You looking for a one-stop landlording software that helps you create listings, find and screen tenants, and accept rental payments while managing maintenance requests? Oh, by the way, it's zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever. What is your return on life? Do you struggle with investing for a safe return? American Real Estate Investments specializes in passive income real estate investing through single family rentals, private money lending, and international vacation rental properties. Visit them at AREIUSA.com. That's AREIUSA.com. Best ever book you've read? I've got two, and it's really difficult. So the first one would be When I Stop Talking, You'll Know I'm Dead by Jerry Weintraub. <laughs> It's an autobiography. If you haven't read it, you gotta read this. Never book. heard of that one. Okay, oh, that's, I don't... <laughs> every other page you're jumping out of your seat. So it's this guy. He grew up in the Bronx, came from poverty, and ended up managing Elvis Presley when he was in his early 20s, and managed Frank Sinatra. And it's just the most crazy story because it's this guy who never took no for an answer, and he just went out and he just made things happen. He wasn't the most intelligent guy. He just went out and did things and it's such an incredible book and then the second book would be shoe dog by phil knight which is another autobiography and it's about the guy that started nike and again the guy started with nothing bootstrapped his business was on the verge of bankruptcy for the first five years or whatever and ended up just growing his company into nike and they're both such amazing and inspiring stories you like the bootstrapping stories and it makes sense based on the challenges that you came across early on. I can definitely identify. I remember when I first moved back to Ithaca to work on the real estate and all my credit cards are maxed out. And I went out to dinner with my wife and we were at this Vietnamese restaurant and I, I thought I had money on my one card or I wouldn't. <laughs> and I think the meal was like $35 and I think I had like $16 on my card. So I put that on there and then I went to my car and I'm grabbing $1 bills and change. And I remember being at the counter counting out change. It was embarrassing, but I put everything I had back into my businesses. So those books, especially Shoe Dog, I can totally identify with his story. If someone's in that position and they don't end up in a position of monetary success that you're at, why would you say they don't? I think one of the biggest things that holds people back in life, just getting outside of their comfort zone is fear of failure. And I've personally always viewed failure as an opportunity. I've made so many mistakes in my life. I make mistakes on a daily basis, but you learn so much from those mistakes. 
And I think if you can just have that paradigm shift and change your perspective and realize that if you fail, that's a good thing because you're going to learn from that experience and you're going to grow from that experience. And you're probably not going to make that mistake again. And it's just going to make you a better, stronger, more intelligent, capable person. So I think that's really a deciding factor right there. What's a favorite mistake that you've made? Oh, again, I, I feel like I could spend hours kind of going into that favorite mistake. There's been so many, so I, I it's kind of hard for me to even pin it down. Maybe the last one, or maybe a mistake on a transaction that might come to mind. I guess, again, trying to like think about first starting out, I paid a contractor, and this is why I said never pay someone ahead of time, and it was like $6,000. Again, you know, I'm bootstrapping, so to me at that time, it was a lot of money, and the guy just disappeared on me. I had already rented the space out to tenants, they're supposed to be moving in in like four weeks and I didn't have any money to renovate the place and I didn't have a contractor. So that's why I say never pay people ahead of time. What's the best ever deal you've done that's not anything you're working on now and was not your first one? I think it's definitely that second deal that I talked about just because it was such an eye opener for me and I really was on the verge of giving up. I've been sending out letters. I had so many doors slammed in my face and had that deal not happened, I might not be where I am today. And I hope that people can listen to that and realize that that can be you. If you just persevere and you keep knocking and you keep moving forward, eventually it's going to happen. Because it happened to me. It's happened to probably everyone that's been on your show or all these other podcasts or all these books that people write. Just keep doing the right thing and eventually something good like that is going to happen and it's going to change your life. It's one thing to hear someone say, they view failure as an opportunity. It's another for someone when they hear that, think, okay, when I come across a failure, I'm going to think of it as an opportunity. But it's a whole nother to actually apply that whenever we're in the middle of a failure. So any thoughts on taking it from concept to action for the best ever listeners? It's a really good point. And there are definitely a lot of times where when it's happening to you, it's really hard to deal with, especially depending on what it is that you're going through at that time. But self-reflection is important. And I think, again, if you can realize that, hey, whatever I'm going through right now, there's a solution to it. Every problem in life has a solution. At the end of the day, what you're going through, it may really suck at the time and be hard to deal with. But at the same time, in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not that bad. So if you can just kind of remove yourself from the situation for a little bit and try and gain some perspective and say, okay, this is what's happening. What good can actually come out of this? How am I going to grow from this situation? So I think sometimes that's all you got to do. You got to just take a step back and try and gain some perspective. When you are approximately $16 short on a dinner out with your wife, how do you step back from that at that time? Yeah, no, that, that's great because it was highly embarrassing. <laughs> it, it was extremely frustrating because I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, how did I let myself get in the situation? Because I don't want to live like this. I'm trying to grow a business, but at the same time, if I can't even take my wife out to dinner once a month, that's not a way to live. So you sit back and you say, okay, what could I be doing differently with my business? Do I need to slow down a little bit in certain aspects so that way I can start to build up a reserve? It takes hitting a wall for you to realize, hey, I need to take a step back because I just ran into this wall and how do I move forward from here? So there's a lot of things that are always going to happen that are unexpected that you don't anticipate and it's just figuring out how to get through it that you possibly can. It's interesting how you said, how did I let myself get in this situation versus... Oh, why me? 
more of the victim mentality versus I let myself get here, so how can I get out of this situation? Yeah. You know what? That's a very interesting perspective, and you're absolutely right. And I think it's an important thing in life if you want to be successful. You always need to be accountable. You can't always blame people or things and feel sorry for yourself. Life happens, and there's always going to be things that are out of your control, and you just got to deal with it. And if you make a mistake, you need to sit back and say, hey, I made a mistake, and how am I going to fix it? As opposed to, oh, the world owes me something or this person didn't treat me right or my contractor ripped me off. And it was like with my contract, I was more mad at myself than I was at him stealing the 6,000. I was like, I can't believe this happened to me. I'm giving up on real estate. It was more like, okay, Todd, you were an idiot. <laughs> you gave this guy money when you shouldn't have. And you know what? I never made that mistake again. That's certainly a lesson we can all apply if we're not already. When we get stiffed by a contractor or someone else, in life instead of being mad at them, which rightfully we very well could be and perhaps some cases should be, the common denominator when we go throughout life in other circumstances will not be them, it will be us. So how do we fix ourselves so that we can mitigate that risk from happening again? Right, absolutely. What's the best ever way you like to give back? I love mentoring people. I love helping people, even competitors. I just think about when I had my first duplex, I had this kid that I went to high school with and he came in and he was saying he wanted to get out of his career and he wanted to get into building duplexes. And I ended up giving him my blueprints, which were probably worth $10,000 at the time. And I remember I was talking to people, like, why would you do that? He's going to be a competitor. He's going to hurt your business. I gave him $10,000 with the plans for free. I was like, yeah, but he's a good guy. And I don't know. I, I wanted to help the guy out. And then fast forward like five or six years and this guy now works at my company. He's like one of my best employees. He ended up selling his duplexes, which he was a competitor, and he reinvested all that money into my business. So me trying to help that person, just because I felt like it was the right thing to do, paid dividends down the road. So I believe in helping everybody that I can, and sometimes it bites me in the butt because you get people that screw you over. But to me, it's always very gratifying when you can do something for other people. And how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? I think the best way to get in contact is going to our website, vismdevelopment.com. It's V as in Victor, I-S-U-M, development. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Vism Development. Inspiring story, that's for sure. The takeaway is we should all buy a Quiznos franchise, go bankrupt, <laughs> and then start knocking on doors because clearly that's a model for success. Yes. <laughs> You can also skip the bankruptcy and the oh, business okay. part and then that, go knocking on doors. But Oh, man, you're skipping the best part, though. That's where the character building comes into play. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And believe me, I, I learned more from those failures than anything else. Well, grateful that you're on the show, shared your, not only your story, but then also how you're structuring your development project, the 207 student housing units near Cornell in Ithaca, New York, with investors as well as the mindset that you have that helps propel you forward, being accountable for your actions, asking how did I let myself get in this situation versus, oh, I can't believe this happened to me. It didn't happen to me. I let myself get in this situation. And that's generally speaking. Everyone starts out at different places. Everyone has different things happen to him or her. But generally when we have the approach of, I'm in control, so I need to be accountable for my actions. That's generally a good approach. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. What is your return on life? 
Do you struggle with investing for a safe return? American Real Estate Investments specializes in passive income real estate investing through single-family rentals, private money lending, and international vacation rental properties. Visit them at AREIUSA.com. That's AREIUSA.com.